Matt Kurtz, you've got a story for us about AI. What's going on over there? Yeah, I found a uh, ethical use for uh, artificial intelligence when it comes to my art. Uh, we're putting together um, a Kickstarter that's only five years late. And um, <laughs> uh, we're, we're basically collecting every PVP in the definitive collection of hardcover books. Problem yeah. is, in 1998, I did not know PVP would make it to 20 years, 25 years. So I didn't really save really good high-res versions of all the strips. And for some of my early strips in 1998 to 2000, all we have is the GIF. Oh, the GIF. no. Oh, that's no. It. Yeah. That's it. And, and when we printed the Awesomeology, when we did the 10-year collection, 1998 is maybe a handful of strips. It's not everything that's on the website. Yeah. Well, um, thanks to the good people in the um, manga and anime community, there's an AI program that will take low-res uh, stills of animes and use AI to upgrade them to high def so you can use them as backgrounds for your desktop no. wallpaper. <gasps> Seriously? And it's specifically designed to... You know, they do this with photos where the AI goes, oh, you have this really low-res photo. I'll make it a high-res photo for you using AI. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. But the 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 weeaboos and the waifus... Uh, uh, <laughs> Senpai and 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 uh, Kohai, they figured out how to do it with uh, drawings. Oh my! Scott, God. are and you saying somewhere out there is there, there's a 17 year old anime fan that has saved your bacon? Yeah, somewhere <laughs> out there, somewhere out there, there's a kid who decided they needed their. Um, I'm gonna date myself with my anime knowledge, with their Evangelion. Uh, <laughs> fan club. They needed a high res version of one of the angels. Yeah, they had a GIF oh uh, or God. a gift, depending. So is is the is the results good? I mean, are you getting yeah. good stuff it's out of this? It's crazy. Yeah, wow. really. Wow. Yeah, it takes a really fuzzy, especially the uh, the black and white stuff. The really cool thing about the color stuff is you can hike the contrast up on it, and it essentially removes all that. Super compressed, low res, yeah, uh, grainy color, and just gives mm -hmm. you clean black lines. The only part oh. where it really doesn't know what to do is with text, but it still does a pretty damn good job. Wow. Well, hold on. D uh, does this mean that all those years that we were calling bullshit on CSI when they would say enhance, like we're now <laughs> well, in that world? <laughs> yeah, like now, <laughs> yeah, it didn't oh exist. Like, we're now right, in that's that what, world. Yeah, this like, actually, well, they, they wouldn't say enhance, but they would say, why don't you run through the AI? But I don't know if that would be admissible in court. Now yeah. I think about it. That's interesting. <laughs> this goes back to my theory that porn is the driver of all technology, because as you know, in hentai, they, they uh, a lot of times uh, pixel out the body parts. This mm. was probably a way to get those body parts back. That, uh, yeah, no, I don't know about them. no, I don't know about uh, hentai porn. Brad, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, how much time do you have? <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about Brad's uh, proclivities for hentai and making comics <laughs> and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon, and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave and Scott, 
Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. I'm very excited to welcome everybody to episode 85 of Web Comics Weekly. Uh, joining us today is Scott Kurtz. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I actually don't know how high we got. Did we get up to around 80, 85? I can, I like can find out in a short while because I've got them all at uh, webcomics.com. We did more I than 85. Can... Oh, I don't know that we ever hit triple digits. I'll be honest. Well, regardless, for for those new to the show, uh, Scott joined us for uh, joined us. Scott was a co-host with Brad and I and and Chris Straub on uh, what four or five years worth of Web Comics yeah. Weekly, yeah, uh, the podcast that we used to do uh, in in parallel with our book How to Make Web Comics that came out God eleven years ago. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, but for those not familiar, you can find Scott's work and t- Scott. Tell me if I have this wrong. Toonhound Studios. Which has a link to all of your works, PVP, yeah, that is Cable Titans. Um, that is the whole thing. So, tunehoundstudios.com is where you want to go. And how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really, really well. I'm in the middle of um, finishing up uh, the first of two um, middle grade graphic novels that I'm doing for Holiday House Publishing uh, that'll come out next year. And uh, pretty much nothing else because it's hundreds of pages of graphic novel I've got to get done. So that's, that's where all my time is spent these days. But, um, I just uh, yeah. curiosity, how, how fast are you going right now? Like in this week, how many pages will you produce this week? I'm doing about, I'm in a crunch cause I'm, I'm, um, behind on my deadline. So I am crunching at 52 the way i used to at 25 and it is not as fun <laughs> um at 52 years of age as it was when i was in my 20s but i'm doing um three or four pages of pencils and then at night i'll do a couple pages of inks wow wow that's what i'm pace pushing myself to do if i had done that earlier in the process i'd be done now <laughs> but uh um and then i have um a, co- a couple colorists that are helping me so i don't have to do that part yeah gotcha. that's gotcha. that takes a lot of uh the stress out of it too because that's that's but, that is uh, not my wheelhouse i'll tell you that they are uh keep in mind these are like uh six by nine format pages for uh middle grade readers so it's not like um i'm not doing watchmen here right right so, right right a very almost, cartoony style maybe a little bit more than a strip in other words in terms of yeah. strictly panel count it's not that much different than knocking out almost a week of strips in a day yeah um, well you know that that's six by nine format i don't know if you both have seen it but i thought it was actually pretty clever they have kind of reformatted all of big nate if you guys know that comic strip into that yeah. sort of oh, yeah. six by yeah. nine format it works great in on that yes. page display it's a really smart way to use it yeah absolutely so Scott, what we were thinking about doing today, since you're kind of an old hand at this, and by the way, I did check, you were darn close, Dave. The last official Web Comics Weekly was episode 84, which was titled, Whoa. are you ready for this? The, the last official show was called Reboot. that tracks that tracks that was that was episode number 84 and then there were four more episodes if you remember the kickstarter for the web comics handbook you uh, all agreed to come back and record another uh episode as a kickstarter bonus and so we had four more episodes uh together and then that was it so technically we made it up to 88 
Okay. 88 episodes. All right. Okay. It's pretty but close. But anyway, since close. Scott's kind of an old hand at this and, 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 Twice and now, he's been he's doing thrown this in for old. a while. He's thrown in old like it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all earned that word fair and square. I guess so. Uh, we, we figured we'd take some of our Patreon questions that come through us uh, through patreon.com slash comic lab. And we would just kind of do our traditional show, just taking questions and uh, trying to give our best answers and to that end, here's a here's one that I, I really kind of uh, am interested since we've got three, I think, very different answers. This one came in from Tom, who says, hey, could you guys talk about your work setups based on earlier discussion about the Cintiq angle at your desks? I'm curious about how you guys work keyboard to the sides, Cintiq's keyboard mounted on top of the tablet, arms mm. on your chairs. Basically, what Tom's looking for is how do we have our our studios set up uh, to, to, to make uh, the, the best possible production atmosphere? So, so Scott, starting out with you, how 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 is your studio uh, consciously set up? I've got a great answer for uh, name a person whose name I already forgot. Tom. Tom. Uh, Tom. So uh, what I do is I use a Cintiq. Um, that I um, purchased uh, when I sold my book. Um, I wisely used some of my advance money to buy a way too big Cintiq. Um, <laughs> my, my Cintiq was um, kind of end of life cycle for that tech. It was mm -hmm. not, I don't even think it was a high, one of the high def Cintiq time, but uh, I bought one of the new ones. And I, at the time I switched over, just switched over to clip studio paint. Mm -hmm. So um, I like my Cintiq to be up at a at an angle. I, I like drawing on it almost like it's an, uh, an easel, like someone painting on an easel as opposed to down flat where I'm looking down. It helps with me yeah. not hunch my shoulders. Um, but what really has saved me ergonomically is Clip Studio Paint makes something uh, called the Tab Mate. Yeah. And this only works with Clip Studio Paint, um, but... Um, I know that there have been softwares that let you use it for Photoshop and stuff, but it basically looks like a, like the old Nintendo Wii nunchuck remote. It does, That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. It looks yeah, like a nunchuck. It, it looks like the nunchuck from the Nintendo Wii, but it sits in your hand. It looks like a little video game controller. It's got a little trigger yeah. and a, a bunch of buttons on it. And this is what I hold in my non-drawing hand. And all of these buttons are programmed. Um, it's got a scroll wheel on it for zooming in and out. And I and I have all my, you know, brush, eraser, pen, um, increase, decrease of size of brush, rotate, recenter, undo, redo, eraser. All of that is here. Oh wow! It's got a lot on there. Yeah. So it's that's all on this. And then um, rather than have my hand awkwardly sitting on a keyboard. Because I was giving myself um, uh, repetitive stress and all kinds of bad stuff. Um, just having the keyboard, especially on this with the Cintiq um, I bought that was this big, which was mm -hmm. dumb. But even before that, I, I would always throw my shoulder out just with the hand on the keyboard. Now my hand yeah. just sits in my lap and I just have the tab mate. So That's a cool I think that device. tab. Yeah, it's a it's a lifesaver. So you said there was software now that, that can adapt it to Photoshop? There is. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Uh, I'll find it so you can put it in the show notes. But there is a program 
that lets you use the tab mate for other wow because i've i've been jealous for a while because my cintiq came with a remote but yeah. in, in a way that I don't love, yes. it is it is designed like a 1985 wired remote. Remember that first generation of TV remotes <laughs> yeah. that had a wire yeah. coming the, out of it? The, the it's Phillips super Magnavox remote, yeah. Yeah, and it it doesn't have any intuitive like haptic, like my thumb here is for, you know, raising brush size. Right. or over, All the buttons are the same and they all, it's one of the, my least favorite things about that Wacom is that remote. It yeah. doesn't do anything. I can't use it. Yeah. So th that's what I wanted to ask you, because I got the same one. Well, I think I've got the 24 sitting over there and I got yeah. that uh, uh, remote with it. I tried it for a day and I, I literally had to print out like a chart that said, OK, this button's over here so I could look at it and memorize, you know, which one's undo, which one is, you know, all those keys that I use all the time. And I, I, I put it aside immediately. Are you saying because it's it, I've got such muscle memory for command Z command W uh, you know, mm. all those uh, X, all the stuff that I'm using all the time. Are right. you saying that you were able to switch your brain over from that muscle memory to this tool a lot more easier? Yeah. And the learning curve was real short. Wow. Not I may have to get one now. Well, it's clear what they did. They gamified it. It looks like yeah. every video yeah. game controller. They you've made ever it owned. a video game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, and, and I, and as, as someone who has been there since the dawn of video games, huh. uh, uh, yeah, it, it came supernatural yeah, to me to, to switch over. It really is been like one piece of just life-saving technology for me when it comes to this. It really, it saved my shoulder. I also bought, um, I don't have it here cause I stopped using it, but, um, it's a little thing that clips onto your desk. It's like an arm. You know when you get an arm for your mic? Yeah. It's an arm for your arm. It's it it basically comes out from your desk like a little support arm oh. with a a little like cup in it and you lay your wrist on it and it and it moves around. Oh, that's wow. nice. So, if you're but that's really if you're using your mouse a lot. Yeah. Um we were um that was to save me when I was playing PC video games. Other than that, that tab mate, man, you can do a lot with it. And there's two, you can do a whole um, set of commands for each key. And then there's a button at the bottom that switches from profile one to profile two. And you can do a whole nother round of yeah, a whole nother set. And looking at your studio layout right now, it looks like you've got you're inside of almost a U-shaped desk. It would, am I guessing right there? You, you look are like correct. You've got desk yeah. To the so left, I desk have, to the right. So I've got um, an IKEA L-shaped desk that kind of curves here in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I've got my Cintiq over here to my left. I've got my monitor that um, this my um, normal monitor, and then I put some. I have a set of shelves here. Mm -hmm. that acts as kind of like the other side of my desk. My computer's on it. This is a, a keyboard that my buddy just bought me because I've known him since the fifth grade, and he feels like I have a musical ability that's going un, unpracticed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on the keyboard, I have what's left of my Christmas <laughs> Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. You weren't supposed <laughs> to see that. Cups, yeah. <laughs> um, and then this right here is a... Uh, a fan got this for me. Uh, apparently, when you make Amazon wish lists, like uh, tell your friends and family what you want for Christmas or stuff. Yeah. Apparently, you can make those public. 
Yeah. And anyone can buy you something. And oh. uh, uh, I had a fan was like, hey, I see, I see your wish list, but I don't have the ability to buy you anything. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But uh, I made the change for him and he bought me this. This is a optical drive burner. It's a DVD burner. Mm. But it burns these specific DVDs. They're called um, M-Discs. Uh-huh. So it's a, it's a, it's a, you know how DVDs really only last you like 20 years? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which when we were starting seemed like, well, I'll never live that long. <laughs> right. Um, apparently they've made data discs now in a format that lasts forever, like a thousand years. Yeah. So you can, you can, I can burn all the, all the stuff I've, all the stuff I've drawn digitally for the last 15 to 20 years, put it on one of those. And my, I don't have kids, but if I did, my kids and grandkids would be able to access it. Yeah. Wow, that is it, it doesn't, I didn't know it that doesn't, existed. Yeah. It doesn't degrade. Yeah. The way that other physical media does. So. And now I saw in the corner, you've got a TV. Do you watch TV? Do you listen to TV while you're working? Is that something you like to do? That is this whole side of the, of the studio <laughs> is kind of the setup that was left over from when this was my dad's apartment down here. Mm-hmm. And I do have that TV on uh, occasionally, normally only when something is happening on CNN that I want to watch. Like um, yeah. uh, when they were doing the, the, January 6th stuff. Yeah. I had that on the background. Most of the time I'm just listening to podcasts yeah. um, or music when I draw. I like listening to people talk while I draw. I like to feel like I'm in a, I miss being around people. So I like feeling like I'm in a studio environment. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So I, and, and the worst part is I listen to, I'm, I'm listening to, I've not listened to your podcast for a long time. So I have so much comic lab to catch up on. And it was like, oh, I'm hanging out with you guys. <laughs> and the only frustrating thing about listening to Comics Lab is I will be screaming at you guys. <laughs> because that, that effect of when yeah. you listen to a podcast and you're, you feel like you're part of the conversation, but they can't yeah. hear you and you're screaming at them and you're like, it's this. I know the answer to this. It's this. <laughs> that is, let me tell you, when you actually know the people, when you're friends with the people on the podcast yeah, and you could call them, I can't tell yeah. you how many times I've had to stop myself from you guys just getting a call like, oh, hey, Scott, what's going on? Uh, and I go, it's called this click. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate though that your that your complaining voice becomes like a smoker of forty years. Like, yeah. I won't tell you kids what <laughs> what you're doing wrong there. Actually, Brad, it was the yellow kid that first appeared. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I become some like eighteen hundreds prospector. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brad, to give us a quick tour of your studio, what is your physical setup around there? I've got a long, I've got a long studio with high ceilings, which sometimes isn't always the best. Uh, but I, 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 and and I can see one thing different from my studio from both of yours. You both have a lot of natural light. I, 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 on the other hand, like working in a cave. I've got one <laughs> window over there. The shades are always drawn. <laughs> and, and, and I just, I like being sealed in that. This is, this is my safe space. You know, uh, yeah. one thing I, I've got two, one thing I did that, that was kind of smart, uh, back way back when I was trying to, uh, to hire an assistant, I, I bought two desks and I have basically two workstations. 
and uh, the assistant didn't work out, but I kept the workstations because now I've got basically four different computers running at any one time. And so I've got my drawing station over there. I've got kind of a podcasting station over here. Uh, it's it's not a bad setup. And much like you, I've surrounded myself. I've got tons of like original art, stuff that I've framed, stuff that people have given me, stuff that I've picked up along the way. And so I've got comic art all around here, which which just makes me feel happy. Uh, yeah. My biggest problem that I'm trying to uh, that I constantly try to solve is like Scott, I, I like my Cintiq at a very steep angle, almost I wouldn't say completely up and down, but very close to that, right? Uh, steeper even than like a 45 degree angle. It's very steep. And uh, I've only got one light and it's a long fluorescent light that's at the ceiling. Casts a nasty glare on the Cintiq and there's just no way around it. So a lot of times when I'm drawing, I turn the lights off. I've got a couple of desk lamps and a, and a floor lamp behind me. I'll turn those on just for a little ambient glow so I can see my keyboard while I'm working. And I, I spend most of my days in the dark, Yeah, <laughs> just, just sitting in front of the Cintiq in a, in a darkened room, uh, happily just drawing away. And, uh, and, and like you, I tried, I, I was, I was watching TV or, you know, putting TV on in the background, uh, which was great. But I, I, I think I was spent spending more time paying attention to it than I realized. Cause when I finally got tired of, of TV. Uh, I started doing the same thing, podcasts, uh, audio books. I'm a big audio book guy, uh, music. And, uh, and I found my production, uh, ticked up quite a bit. Like you can do audio books when you draw. Oh, I love audio books. Oh man. But only when I'm inking, like when I'm penciling or when I'm writing, I got to have silence. Cause you know, with with this brain, I got my head, my hands full. But when I'm inking, I can I can have anything going. So audiobooks have been a big, big plus uh, for me, at least. Uh, and 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 then I can kind of get my stuff done. Uh, but Dave, now, Dave, that's that's very different from yours, because I know you've got a lot of natural light. Yes. Yeah, so unlike uh, the Balrog who uh, over there, who was one of the fallen Maiar there, uh, who liked living in the dark. Uh, no. So I I have a, a, a smallish studio that I I very much am happy with. I um it's in my house like Scott, um and yeah. I uh it's at the front of the house. So much like uh, Hitchcock's rear window, I'm always huh. looking out the window right next to my desk. Yeah. Like, oh, postman's three minutes later than he was yesterday. <laughs> like I've become this like 65 year old, like, hello, Margaret. Good to see you. How lovely. Uh, Cause I'm standing right at the window all day long, but my entire studio, uh, since I had a lot of problems with repetitive stress injury uh, yeah. about seven years ago in my right shoulder, I've moved my entire studio to be a standing uh, workspace. So I have my standing oh, wow. drawing table that my, brother built for me um and then i have a standing treadmill that i do all my um administrative stuff on and then i just bought uh, a stand like a six foot uh standing uh work table because i we used to have these things at mattel that were like meeting tables that you could also do projects on and i realized i didn't have like a project Um, space like just a big clear project space to, I don't know, just lay stuff out, cut stuff, glue stuff, all that sort of stuff. So I, I got a big table that I, that's on wheels. I can roll around at different parts of the studio. So for me, it's mostly a standing um, situation. 
And then the drawing standing desk has two ways I can draw. I can do Sheldon traditionally on a light boxed um, sort of cantilevered. Uh, it lifts and, and drops down uh, wood and light box setup. And then on an arm, I can swivel in the Wacom and it can sit on top of the light box area. So I can draw and both of them can tilt. Um, and I would say my Wacom setup is not the greatest ergonomically. Like I'm feeling like I'm torquing more than I need to to get yeah. to my keyboard. And the, like it's not a great setup. So I think I'm going to install some kind of keyboard tray that can slide out from way underneath and pop up um when i'm doing my walk and stuff but that's and, and like brad I, i'm surrounded by original art all around my studio um and uh what's funny is i totally forget that it's there until i ever redo my studio and then i'm like oh there's a lot of nice art and then i become totally blind to it <laughs> for the next five years again and then and then i'm like oh I, I forgot i had that piece yeah go ahead brad are you still using the walking desk i, I last time i was there you had a treadmill set up to a desk are you still uh, using that Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but I will say I will go six months and forget that it exists. So it's not even yeah. in the room, Brad. Who even knew that there was a treadmill in this? And but then I'll be like, no, I'd you use know a treadmill I can... if I had one, but I just but, don't have. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I, you that, use that, it for the bullshit hanger. task. Like, oh, I've got to yeah. do. I've got to answer ten emails, or I've got to do a bunch of uh, forum uh, responses, or yeah. I need to do a bunch of scheduling for my comic for the next month or two. And and you just hop on the treadmill. And I, honest to God. Even though I, you, I'm not in great shape, but you don't even pay attention. And suddenly you've walked a mile, mile and a half, yeah. two miles wow. without even really paying attention. And like uh, you're, you're like, why am I not doing this all the time? And then I'll right. do it again and then I'll forget and go for six months without using it. And anyway, that's that's the, my story. But anyway, I uh, I'm very happy with my standing setup now. And and uh, uh, I highly recommend it for anybody that's thinking about it. All right. We've got another question from one of our Patreon backers. And again, I, I kind of chose this, Dave. It's so good that Scott's on the show because I, I I think I, I don't know that I have a good answer for it, but I know Scott's going to. So this okay. is this is going to be good that you're here. This one coming in from Jay Lark, who says, sometimes I feel like some of my characters have a very similar voice even when I try to give them different personalities. Can you talk about how to give each character in a comic a distinctive voice? What are some tips for doing so without inflating word count in our balloons? What role can accents, catchphrases, or other mannerisms play without overdoing it? Finally, how can a character's dialogue work together with the visuals of a comic to help make their voice distinctive so basically this comes down to the voice of a character something that i think i struggle with an awful lot i think sometimes my characters can sound very similar mm -hmm. but you do really well <laughs> you do great at giving a character a distinctive voice so so what's your approach to this I also, by the way, support throwing Scott under the bus on this one and letting him answer first. I think Are you asking great. me? You think no, I'm good at this? No, yeah, we think we we think you should answer this first. Oh, <laughs> I'm talking to you. I want to hear what you've got to say. I was gonna. I thought you were talking to Dave because I I like all of the distinct voices in the Sheldon characters. But um, so one of the things I try to figure out with all of my characters is um, and if I uh, if I answer this question and stick to it um it helps more so i feel like some of the original characters of pvp their voices tend to blend more than the newer ones because i didn't learn this until i got further in yeah but 
if you take a moment to sit down and do this little exercise and ask yourself um, two things about each character. What does my character want? And what does my character need? Oh, um, and uh, if you're having a hard time answering those questions, then you should do it first with a TV show that you've watched a lot of. Yeah. So, for example, I've watched every episode, season of The Office multiple times. Right. It's kind of my comfort go-to play in the background show. So what is, let's take Michael Scott. What does Michael Scott want? Michael Scott wants to be loved by everybody. And yeah. what does he need? He needs to stop trying so hard. Yeah. Right? What does yeah. Jim want? Jim wants to um, not be in this boring situation, this kind of dead-end boring situation. What does he need? He needs to realize it's actually better than he thinks it is. Right? Like, yeah. when you, when you, th when you can identify those two things it helps you with their voice where they're coming from and also helps you with situations and how they'll act in those situations yeah. and i think that's a big part of the voice is knowing when you put a character in a situation uh how are they going to respond to it right um so with my characters for example you put uh cole in a situation he's going to try to solve everybody's problem and he's going to panic about it. Everything's yeah. kind of a crisis to him. You put Brent in that situation. He's going to try to act like he's not thrown by the situation. He's going to throw a lot of snark at you. And he's going to act like he's kind of too cool for school when it comes to that stuff, at least early Brent skull yeah. is going to be very naive about it. He's probably going to understand the situation incorrectly. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's, I think when you set those things up early and kind of remember them and have them maybe even written down somewhere and you, you approach it with that, it helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Dave, you're another person that does this amazingly well. What's, uh, what's your approach to, to a character voice? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting to hear you both say that you thought that I do it well and, and, and I'm not being falsely humble. I actually don't in my own mind think that I do it well. And maybe this is the trick of, feeling too close to all of your characters such that mm -hmm. they feel like they're meshing together because they're all somewhat aspects of yourself. Not really, but yeah. somewhat. Right. So I, I appreciate that you both are saying that because I don't feel that. But anyway, I'll tell you what I do. Um, the best thing that I ever did, especially with Drive, uh, was write character Bibles. And yeah. I, I mentioned that not to say that I have ever, ever pulled out that character Bible again, having <laughs> written it. I have never looked at it again once I wrote yeah. them, but yeah. it was really good for me to get down on paper. What was their backstory? Where did they come from? Um, yeah. What parts of the story will never be revealed, but are like deeply centered in who they are. You know, like yeah. this person desperately misses their dead mother. They're never going to mention it, but it's desperately important to them in terms right. of who they are. Right. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I wrote up that Bible, have never looked at it again, but it really, it's one of those things that it's an activity that, once you've done it, it informs everything else you do because you put in the time thinking about it, right? Yeah. And then another thing that I do, because it's kind of a touchstone that I, this I do call on weekly when I'm writing Drive, is I try to reduce characters to one word 
such that mm. I can sort of do a check in with myself of like, is this who they are? And kind of what that word might be is, you know, when they always say people's true self comes out in a moment of anxiety or real stress, like, oh, my God, there's a fire. Some yeah. people will default to self-preservation. Some right. people will default towards command, like, let's get everybody out of here safely. Some people will default towards panic. Right. Um, and in some respects, that's how I try to like crystallize certain characters. Some people are, I have some characters that are ultimately about optimism. That's what they're about. They're about optimism. Other people are about concern. That's their one word that's like crystallizing for them. Another one might be creativity. That's, that's the crystallizing word for who they are and how they react to situations is creativity. Um, and so that's how I do it. Um, it's the Hogwarts school test. It's what my yeah. niece does with me. Yeah. Yeah. My, exactly. My niece to, to, to determine what Hogwarts school I was in, because it was very important to my niece. Uh-huh. She gave me a problem to solve. And the problem was you come to a locked door and you have to get through it. How do you do it? What's the first thing you think to do? Oh, and if you like knock wonderful. it down your Gryffindor, yep. if you pick the lock, you're Slytherin. If mm. you knock to see if anyone let you in, you're Hufflepuff. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, that's Wonderful. true. That's a great that's a great example yeah. of it. Yeah. And then also and this is trickier, uh, but I'm sure that all three of us had this is that sometimes uh, no matter how good the punchline is or no matter how good the story point is, you have to be true to would the character actually say this right. versus yeah. defaulting to the point like I told Brad last week, I had a punchline that was so perfect for drive. It was it was like, oh, it was so funny, but I couldn't use it because the two characters that had to be in that scene neither one of them would ever say that phrase. Like it would never <laughs> pass their lips. Yeah. And like, sometimes as a writer, you just know it when you know it and you have to honor it. You can't like cheat it yeah. for the story or else you ruin that character for that moment. You know, yeah. so that's, that's for me for Brad. How about you? How do you try to differentiate your voices and stay true to the characters? I'll tell you it. what, I'll, I'll just be, <laughs> I, I, I divide them up by cup size. Of course. No, I, uh, for me, I'm a hack. I, I, I freely admit I'm a hack when it comes to this because I, I don't know that this is a strength, but what I do do is, uh, try to rely on ar- archetypes, right? Like, like what character archetype is this? Is yeah. this a healer? Is this a, a conniver? Is this a wild card type character? And I've got kind of where you have a character Bible. I have kind of a rolling character Bible. These are different sheets that get Xeroxed and pasted into every new sketchbook as I'm starting a new sketchbook. And the number of pages just gets exponentially larger and larger at, because it's things that I want to remember, storyline points. That Xerox, though, that's so old school. It's like I mimeograph it and then yeah. use a paste-up <laughs> tool. I still remember how good mimeograph machines used to smell. I, I <laughs> I'd bring that back in a heartbeat. Uh, but so, like, what I tried, I've got a little grid with all my main characters with a bunch of little factoids uh, written down above, uh, below each one of them, and one of them is archetype. Uh, material. Like, for example, I'll, I, and, and not only will I put an archetype, but I'll put like one or two uh, a, a, a characters from other media that this character reminds me of. Yeah. Like, okay. I've got one character that I, I've got Groucho Marx and Dan Fielding written down there. All right. <laughs> so when I, <laughs> when I write this character and I'm writing their uh, dialogue, I'll think, well, how would Groucho deliver that? How would Dan Fielding deliver that? What would their response be? That sort of thing. 
And it, it, it's not quite trying to uh, uh, recreate a Dan Fielding character, but it gets my head pointed in the right direction so I can go that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, And I, and I still say, and I, and I know I'm going to be preaching to the choir here because I know how both of you feel about this, but I think archetype uh, work was what made golden girls. One of the best uh, sitcoms of all time, because those archetypes were so freaking solid that uh, that you could build entire stories. Just you you drop a situation, throw those three or uh, four archetypes in and run with it. You told me the other day, Brad, that you had seen a, a TV writer break down what the archetypes were for the Golden Girls. Can you just go through that real quick? Like one was chaos. One was. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the. Oh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just thought it was so well done in terms of a breakdown, but it doesn't matter that if we if we, yeah, if we don't have uh, it. If I remember right, uh, uh, B. Arthur's character uh, uh, was the the leader. Right. And, and she's kind of like the, the the straight for this. Right. She's she's the setup, but she's also a leader. She's she's always kind of uh, very straightforward. A uh, uh, Rose Nyland is is what I would call. And 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 Scott, help me out here. I call this character the magical idiot, right? Because, yeah. because they always, they're that character we see so much in, in uh, pop culture where they're an absolute idiot, yet everything's going to be okay for them, right? right. Kind of like right. Star Lord in a way, yeah. Remember Todd in BoJack Horseman? He's like a, a prototypical magical idiot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so she, I call that a magical idiot. Uh, uh, Blanche is a seducer, without a doubt. And then Estelle Getty's character, Sophia, they had it written to the show where she had a stroke, so she had no filter. So anything just came out of her mouth. That makes her a classic wild card archetype, right? Anything can happen uh, because you don't know what's going to come out of her mouth next. So that's the the four archetypes that I've got those uh, characters uh, nailed under. Well, can I I want to build on this because this is kind of a fun thing to talk about. So one thing that I do, like Brad, I will certain characters or certain walk on people. I'll be like, all right, this is a Will Ferrell type. Like, how would Will Ferrell deliver these lines or how would Paul Rudd deliver these lines? Yeah. But have you guys ever done this? I've actually taken advantage of both of your personalities when I'm trying to work a punchline. Have you ever guys done this where it'd be like, all right, I have the Dave Keller punchline. How would Scott write this? How hmm. would how would Brad write this? Like I'm to, to kind of run it through a different filter of like trying to step out of who I am. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I've actually used your personalities to be like, hey, how would they do that? How would they approach this storyline? What would they do? And it's funny how sometimes that actually triggers ideas. I'll do that when I'm stuck every now and again. I'll be like, I don't know how I'm going to write this. And then I I'd like I'll, I'll revert to two that always get me started. How would Larry David write this scene? And oh, how would yeah. Mel Brooks write this scene, right? Because yeah. those are very distinctive, again, writing voices. Now we're talking writing voices as opposed to character voice, but right, they're right. very distinctive approaches to comedy that yeah. also have a lot of similarities. But I'll do that. Scott, what's your what's your approach to that? Uh, you know, I am I'm I do something that's similar to what you do is. And instead of thinking of a person or a specific writer, I think of a, a particular show. Yeah. Um, PVP specifically is such a, I don't know, love letter evolution of redheaded stepchild child to the sitcoms that I grew up loving. Yeah. It's uh, all the comedy is rooted in the sitcoms that I grew up finding just so funny and very clever. And so I default to those. Um, 
I default to the night court and the news radios mm-hmm. um, and how and the voice that they're written in and the and the both the uh, funny and touching moments in each of those, because both of those um, shows did that um, yeah. pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I tend to think about um, the way shows do things as opposed to, you know, the voice of a particular ensemble. I do that a lot. Yeah. So you're, you're taking more of a macro view as opposed yeah, to a micro like, view. Uh, my wife always, my wife always points this out um, to me is when we're watching a show, she can tell when I'm watching the show or when I'm working. <laughs> and cause if I find something really, really clever in a show, I immediately start dissecting it and I'm yeah. done watching it. And, yep. uh, we were watching, we were really into Shit's Creek. I don't know if you've watched that show. Yeah. And, um, and I said, Oh, this changes everything. This show, uh, because, He's just written um, Schitt's Creek, the town, to be the way that he wishes things were. Because, yeah. like, in that show, it's uh, uh, Levy, not Eugene, his son. I can't think of his name now. Okay. We can go with um, Steve. But his character, David, um, is gay and falls in love with a the guy there in the town, and they're going to get married. And it's a small little, like, the the... The whole central premise of the show is it's a podunk, unsophisticated town. Mm-hmm. And you would think that anyone else would write it as everyone in that town having a problem with a gay couple. No right. one in the town had a problem with a gay couple. And I heard Dan Levy say, we just wrote, we just wrote that as a place that we, the way we want it to be. Right. Yeah. right. You know, not necessarily the way that it is, just to give a, an example of the way it could be. And I, and that really made me go. I want to do that. I got to ask you since you brought it up, Night Court, the rebooted, the reimagined Night Court. Uh, have I want to talk it about yet? it. Do you have thoughts? It's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> it's it's it is. It's completely unfunny. It's completely forced. I don't know if there's one joke in the whole damn thing, and it's devoid of everything that made the original special. Not, not to mention they rebooted a show where everyone on it is that was on it originally is dead or retired, mostly yeah. dead, except um, for Dan Fielding, who they got to they got John Larroquette. Yeah, they to got Larroquette, but you can't do Dan Fielding anymore. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good point. Oh, or, his, his or you could, but they poorly. didn't, right? Yeah, I mean, you would think that if you're going to reboot Night Court, and you have the daughter of Abby Stone or the daughter of Harry Stone coming to the same Night Court. And the only person available is, is Johnny Arquette. Your first thought in the writer's room is, okay, she's, she needs help. You bring in Dan Fielding and she's got to deal with the fact that this guy yeah. is, is this relic and she's got to deal with his misogyny. And he's on, yeah, he's inappropriate and he's inappropriate and out of control. Yeah. And you get to make those jokes because you get that, then get to have everyone go, Dan, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Is Richard. Mull- and you also then get to make fun of conservatives. Nah, he's retired. He's not oh, in okay. it. Okay, I was gonna say, but he's not. He's still but no. Alive. They didn't. They've they've swapped it. They've made yeah. him like, I don't know. Like he's changed, and there's another character that's constantly being inappropriate to him. Yeah, like in the gallery. I don't know. It's awful. Terrible. Well, let me jump us into our next question. This comes in from uh, Cruz Esparza over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And it says, Dear Scott, what do you do if you find yourself to be a serviceable writer and artist, 
but your art style doesn't match the mood you tend to write in. Do you challenge yourself to change your writing to fit your art, your art to fit your writing? Or do you backseat one as a hobby and pursue the other as a career and just hire out the other half of your work? Uh, by the way, this book goes out to uh, Brad. Thanks for all the great advice. And it was great seeing you in Santa Rosa. Would love to see you two do more in-person events. Well, hopefully we can uh, cruise. That would be uh, too much to our love. But Scott, writing for you, when you first went from PVP maybe to Teen Titans, or to Teen Titans. <laughs> <laughs> I did go straight to Teen Titans. <laughs> when you went to Table Titans, did you find that some of your voice didn't match your art and your art didn't match your voice and you had to work on one or the other or modify? I, yeah, uh, it was absolutely that. Um, one of the things that I learned immediately was that um, it didn't really happen until the second book of Table Titans. The first book, I did a lot of cheating and um, I kept the, obviously the part of the story where um, it's friends at a table playing a role playing game. I can handle that art. I know how to yeah. stage that. I know that. Yeah. But uh, the part of the story where they're now I'm showing you what it's like to be in the fantasy world. Now we're talking more of a widescreen uh, story, right? We're now we're Lord of the Rings. Now we're vistas and monsters and all this kind of an action. And that's not something I'm super well versed in. But I pulled my punches in book one uh, to kind of get around that. I didn't want to do it in book two. And I was struggling. So what I did was I hired um, my buddy, Brian Hurt, who does work in that style. Uh, he, he is the artist for the, um, among other things, the um, Oni Press book, The Six Gun. Yeah. And so he sat with us. We brought him in on book two. He really loved Table Titans and we brainstormed story ideas and the fantasy element uh, part of the story, we really got cinematic with it. And every time I said, I don't know if I can draw that. He's like, don't worry about it. He did breakdowns for me. So he basically took my script and then thumbnailed it. So I mm. got thumbnails from Brian, uh, which really is not a finished pencil. It's very thumbnails are very, they're not quite stick figures. Brian can't really bring himself to just draw stick figures, but it's a very um, shorthand version of a drawing of the way a page breaks down. Yeah. But it helped me, I think specifically because it wasn't very detailed, it helped me kind of understand how to break down a script into more cinematic looks. So that helped me. And then when we went to the, when I went to do it again, it was easier for me. Um, so I kind of went in between doing it myself and hiring someone to do it for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so a lot of the reason why, and I think book two of table Titans looks way better than book one. The reason why is because I built it on top of Brian's thumbnails. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, how do you approach something like this? If you feel like your art doesn't, uh, match your writing because I've got a feeling that might have been something that in the early days at least you may have grappled with in Drive. <laughs> I don't know why I took that as an insult. Like, no, I mean, look, no, I'm, 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 I'm flipping it's through different book one right Sheldon. now, and I, it looks like you're grappling. I'm, I'm assuming right that you're grappling because I'm seeing grappling. <laughs> 
Uh, no, I mean, here's the thing, Brad, you're right, uh, is that like, I was actually really happy to see Scott describe it the way he did, because I think uh, he said it perfectly, is that I cheated yeah. because I didn't yet have the tool set when yeah. my art didn't match my, uh, what, what's a better way to say it? Like, my writing was picking fights that my art couldn't win, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, that's a good you know? way to put it, yeah. Like, I, I knew I wanted to write this incredible, like, I don't know, space battle or these incredible aliens. And then my, uh, you know, it would be like those TikTok videos where it cuts to, oh, no, no, no. And you're just like, oh, geez, Louise. <laughs> uh, and so um, the truth is, uh, so I've been doing drive for about a decade. It took me four or five years of like consciously going, I've got to level up. I've got to become a better artist. And I'm not, I'm not yet who I want to be art wise, but I'm getting so much better than I was when I started drive such that now weak points that when I started the story, like my spaceships, not great. My aliens. Okay. Now I take real pride in them. Like I had a sequence the other day with a bunch of different aliens fighting it out. And I was like, oh, this is among some of the best stuff I've ever drawn. Yeah. And it came out great. And uh, my spaceships are getting more and more unique and interesting. And uh, so I've been I've been really happy with it on that front. I, I want to point something out real quick, because to everyone listening, that is the secret sauce right there. Yeah. And I know that we all grow up. We all want to break into comics. And we all focus on how do I break in? And you see the comic industry, you see people doing things, see new things coming out, and you feel like it's this big train that's going so fast that you just you don't know how to jump on it. There is no secret. The only secret sauce is consistency. Mm -hmm. And if Dave hadn't put in, if Dave wasn't willing to have a couple years worth of drawings he wasn't satisfied with, he never would have gotten to the drawings that he is where he can now feel like he can do this. And I really didn't feel like until I was 15, 20 years into drawing comics that I could even tackle something like Table Titans. And I still wasn't ready for it. But if I, if I wasn't willing to not only draw, but post and share the pages that just weren't up to snuff yet, I never would have gotten to where I wanted to be. And I think yeah. that is the key. That's what makes you pro. That's what makes you... Uh, in it to win it for lack of a better phrase is that you have the courage to know that no one's a harder critic on your work than yourself. No one ever spends as much time looking at this stuff. They don't notice all the flaws you see. You've got to mm -hmm. have the courage to post that work you don't like because that's the only way to get to the next drawing that, um, that lets you unlock the happy accidents that make you go, Oh, 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 yeah. make those connections and yeah. then get to draw the stuff that, that you wanted to draw when you started, but didn't have the tool set for. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I I was not ready to start drawing Drive, and I'm, it's really nice to hear you feel that you were not ready to start drawing Table Titans either. Is that? But I knew what I, I knew I knew I wanted to do it. So there was that. There was yeah. the drive of wanting to do it, <laughs> but also uh, the, there was kind of a willingness to be embarrassed, if that yeah. makes sense. Like I, I, I knew, and I did have critics who'd be like, "You're not the right artist to draw this science fiction strip." Yeah. Um, and uh, and in a lot of respects, looking back on it, I wasn't yet, but I yeah. had to do it and do it in real time to get better. I couldn't just say, I'll put this off for five years. I had right. to kind of stumble my way through it for five years to get better such that now my spaceships, my aliens, my environments are all better and where I'd like them to be. Have you seen, have you guys seen that, uh, that clip? Uh, so I don't know why he did it, but Ethan Hawke did a thing about creativity and giving yourself permission to be creative. No, no. You've 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link. You can put it in the show notes. Um, you've got to give yourself permission to be creative. He, he talks about um a poet that was kind of counterculture, and he went on like a real mainstream show and and did his poetry. And uh, afterwards, all of his buddies in the counterculture were like, you know, they're all laughing at you. And he said, yeah, that's my job. I'm a poet. Yeah. They're supposed to go to their day job. They're nine to five. They're in the system thing and hate it. And look at me and go, who the hell is he to go on TV and do that? <laughs> and he was talking about how art is a luxury until you don't know how to deal with something where, you know, someone you love breaks up with you, your parent dies, then you need to know how to. And then all of a sudden art is a necessity. It's yeah. vital. And, yeah. and he talks about the whole point of art is you are making a fool of yourself. You have to be willing to go out there and make a fool of yourself. Wow. Because that's, that's the point, you know, you yeah, make yeah. those mistakes publicly. Well, speaking of Brad, Brad, do you want to talk a little bit about <laughs> how you? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, okay, joking wow. aside, uh, we hadn't gotten to your version gotcha. of how you would answer this, and I would like to hear it actually. No, I, I, I am going to underscore everything both of you said, and and listen, I, I, in terms of what uh, the, the theme that Scott just got done, all you've got to do is take a look at my early stuff in Greystone Inn, and take a look at the stuff that I'm doing now. It's yeah. it's night and day. Uh, different and there's no way i could have gotten to where i'm doing stuff that i'm really proud of uh if if i wasn't doing that and again learning every time somebody asked me in my patreon uh i was doing an and ask me anything and they were talking about you know the development of an artistic style and i said really it's just doing it over and over and over again and not being quite satisfied until just one day all of a sudden you draw a no you draw a nose just right and all of yeah. a sudden it's like yeah oh that's how I draw a nose, right? It's not how John Buscema draws a nose. It's not how Burke Brethen draws a nose. But all of a sudden, boom, this is how I draw a nose. And this works for me. This works in the in the overall pattern of what I'm trying to get to. And then you draw a whole bunch of character, characters that aren't so good, but the noses are better. And then <laughs> you just keep going until finally you have a breakthrough on something else, some other facet, compositions or shading or line quality. Uh, but the but but none of us start at this thing being where mm -hmm. we where we want to be. We all have a place that we're trying to go. And I don't know of too many people who ever get there. I, I think if you talk to an 80 year old uh, cartoonist who's still cranking this stuff out, they're still trying to get someplace. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Brad, because part of the way this question was asked is is a version of saying like um, that you don't feel like you're the right artist to draw this scene, this splash yeah. page, this battle, this whatever it is, right, that you're writing or your art. And and uh, I know that you, or you must be like me, where you're sometimes drawing an evil ink scene going, I wish John Buscema could draw this, you know, like yeah. I wish I wish John Byrne could draw this scene. I I I but. Part of it, and this is building off what Scott was saying earlier, part of it is building up the confidence to being like, no, Brad Geiger needs to draw this scene. This is yep. actually the right artist to draw this scene. People yeah. want to see this in my style. Actually had that happen. I got really? to work with the late, great Neil Adams. Oh, uh, I Going to comic book conventions, San Diego's all those years, his granddaughter was a fan of PVP and, and their big, the Neil Adams booth and son Jason and, and his granddaughter and and, and his daughter, we, we talk to the Adams all the time every year. And his, his, uh, he's like one point he goes, well, my granddaughter says I have to do a cover for your comic. And I go, I don't do that comic anymore. 
And he goes, uh, so uh, Kim contacted me and said, you know, Neil really wants to work with you. And I know that you don't say you don't do covers anymore, but you know, he used to do uh, the a syndicated comic strip and he really wants to do that. Something like that again. And I'm like, he used to do a syndicated comic strip. He did a comic strip for the TV show, Ben Casey, MD. Oh, really? oh wow. That is a deep cut. That it is, is a, a deep, deep cut. cut. And I said, cool, I'm about to do a storyline where, where Kringus kills Santa. Yeah. And why don't we do a riff on that Fantastic Four where they kill Galactus and Reed Richards like, oh, no, we got to save Galactus. And so they realize they got to save Santa and they bring in Ben Casey and, and Neil can draw it. Wow. And uh, so I got to work with him on that. And there's a listen. I got to work with Neil Adams and, yeah. and we were sending yeah. digital files back and forth and he was taking my comic strip and drawing little pieces in on it. There's nothing to complain about there. Yeah. No, that's, no, that's, that's just, that's just, a- just so you know how an artist's brain works. <laughs> Even when you're working with Neil effing Adams, yeah. <laughs> at some point your brain's going to go, I should have just drawn this damn thing myself. <laughs> I'm not enjoying this. I am not enjoying the choices he's making. I wouldn't have done it that way. Like, you know, and then you go, what are you saying? Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, Scott, I got to tell you, we're running out of time and I don't want to miss an opportunity to thank you profusely for joining us on the show. Uh, This has been, uh, speaking of career highlights, this has been one for me. Uh, If people want to find (laughs) out more about about you. (laughs) Come on, that sounded, that sounded honest, didn't it? (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm bowled over by by the sincerity of that. (laughs) Can't get you to take my calls. If people want to find out more about Scott Kurtz and what he's up to, tunehoundstudios.com, newly redesigned. You're one of the folks using the Tucheki CMS now as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you, uh, Brian Lee, too. And we can find out uh, more at Toonhound Studios. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, This has been great. It's been been good for my heart to have you back. This has been fantastic. And so I get to say... You've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where we're still a top comics podcast. And you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and forget that and say the other thing. ToonHoundStudios.com <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> What's great about that is now we're gonna get off. We're gonna get off the phone with Brad later this week. We'll be like, all right, Brad. Well, good talk to you. I gotta tell you, Brad, it's been a career highlight, highlight chatting with you <laughs> on the phone today. Talking to you tonight. <laughs>